day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falking Around podcast. It's what we do. We falk around. We have a little bit of fun. We try to provide some information, give you some topics to think about, try to get you through the time that we're going to. Let's face it. We're all desperate for sports. The NFL draft is a week away. We're certainly going to talk about that. But our desperation for sports competition, something to watch, something to pet on, something to root for, has gone to a new level. ESPN had what I thought was a pretty good idea. They decided they were going to air a horse competition. You know, let's face it, when you grew up and you played basketball, everyone played horse. We used to play pig because the games would be quicker. Only three letters instead of five. But horse isn't new to the NBA. They used to do this back in the day. They would tape these things and then air them at halftime of the NBA games. And it was pretty entertaining, fast-paced. You'd have a lot of things going on. It's, it's an only 10-minute halftime, so you'd have to get in, get out. Now, ESPN, their idea sounded pretty good. Unfortunately, the execution wasn't all that great. Take a listen. Hey, hey, enough of all that. I just hope she miss it. <laughs> all right, just see. miss it. Oh. Hey. Wow. Yeah. Allie. Allie, didn't they tell you it was wet out here? It's been raining. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're good. It's all you good. Got it's all on. good. It's all good. Oh, yep. Huh? <laughs> ah. God oh. dang it. Help Couldn't me get up. It from the yeah, seat of the bank. Yes, yeah. Yep. I'm going back to the, the free throw bag. All right. I'm classic. I'm old school. <laughs> free throw, throw bag shot. Free throw bank. With a lot of confidence. Dash. Ah. It rattles out. That's a wrap. Ali Quigley wins it. H O R S E. If you're watching this on YouTube, you see the video. Choppy, grainy. Let's face it, we've all accepted less quality in our broadcasts. It's the day of the age. Right now, I'm broadcasting from home via Skype. Normally, I'd be in the studio. Quality much better. We've accepted that. But this was a tough watch for a lot of reasons. The quality wasn't good. You saw Allie Quigley, the WNBA star. You saw her backyard. Her backyard looked like your backyard or my backyard. You've got Demetra Cummings, another former WNBA star. She's a Hall of Famer. Same thing. And then you got Mike Connolly, who's got a gym that most high school teams around here would love to practice in. Zach Levine had a great setup in his backyard. It just didn't work all that well. The initial match was Trey Young and Chauncey Phillips. Chauncey Phillips had a great setup in his backyard. Trey Young, eh, it just looked like somebody put a basket on the side of his driveway. And he had never been out there because Trey Young, who's one of the best shooters in the league, looked lost in this competition. But the competition lost me and I think everyone else. When Paul Pierce made his debut, Paul Pierce, the former Celtic star who 
I've never been a fan of. Let, uh, truth in advertising time, I always rooted for the Lakers. So I dislike the Celtics. I dislike Paul Pierce. From the moment in the playoffs, he went down, taken off in a wheelchair, and then he comes back. He's all good. Well, if you haven't heard what really happened then, he wasn't hurt. He pretended he was hurt. But Paul Pierce shit his pants. That's what happened, allegedly. And he's pretty much verified that story. He crapped his pants. So they get a wheelchair out, take him off. He goes in, showers up, new pair of pants. Let's go. Come back out and play. I've not been a fan of Paul Pierce since then. As a Laker fan, it's kind of hard to root for a guy who gets wheeled off in a wheelchair and then comes back. And now we know why. But Paul Pierce looked like every old basketball player ever. Me, I'm an old guy now. But when I was a kid, it's all I did is play hoops. I played every day, all day. I didn't run through my house, and I never walked through my house. I ran through without jumping, trying to touch a ceiling, top of a doorway, something. And then as you go through, and you're playing somewhere in your mid-30s, maybe late 30s, 40s, you go to jump. And nothing happens. And you're like, oh, that was weird. Well, that, uh. If you play basketball and you're an older guy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to jump and just, huh. you know, you used to touch the rim and backboard. Now you look up and like, man, that's, that's way up there. I hope I don't get stuck up there. I wouldn't want to get down. Paul Pierce looks like the rest of us. He couldn't jump and touch the backboard. Oh, by the way, dude, 6'7". He doesn't have to jump. He was trying to do a reverse layup where you go up on one side and then finish on the other. He couldn't hang long enough to do it. It was unbelievable. It was one of the most atrocious attempts by a great basketball player to look like a competent basketball player I've ever seen. I get it that we want competition. We want to be able to watch things and you know, all the things that go along with it. But the horse competition, to me, was a cautionary tale to other sports. Everyone's trying to figure out how to come back. And do we tweak things to come back? Well, it doesn't always work that something's better than nothing. In this case, with horse, nothing is better than something. And that brings us to our next topic. Because this is one of those... Oh, it's something, so it's got to be better than nothing. Major League Baseball, we've talked a lot about it because it's the next sport up, if you will. Here we are in the spring. We're mid-April. Baseball would be about two and a half, three weeks in right now. So we would be in the thick of it. Well, baseball's trying to figure out how to get started. And last week, a proposal came out. We, we talked last week about that possibly all being in Arizona and playing in the minor league stadiums and doing that. This week was a little bit different. This week, there was going to be two sites. There was going to be Arizona and Florida. Basically, teams were going to go to their spring training homes and use those homes to play out. And this would cause, for one season only, a Major League Baseball realignment. Baseball is stumped on tradition. We know the numbers of baseball in heck. 
when Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's record, we all freaked out because he cheated. And our game is sacred, and it's our game, and the numbers, you, you can't do that. Well, if the game's so sacred, why are we trying to figure out any way possible this year to make a season happen? And make a season happen at the expense of all tradition. This realignment package? It's the, the, thing, the thing that people don't quite understand, I mean, when you play every day in this kind of heat, and I know the sun will be down by the time we play, but I've, I've, my family's lived here for shoot, since 1981, and I used to come here a lot in the summer as a rover. I didn't work here in the summer, but I came here in the summer. And it's oppressively hot. I'm just saying that uh, I think any kind of momentum built could be lost very quickly just based on people start wilting. And then there's the potential for injury just based on um, the heat. I mean, listen, we're talking 110 a lot. And we're talking really hot. And even at night with the sun down, it's oppressive. And then Florida is the same way, only you just add um, humidity. And I, and I have uh, spent summers in Florida. I, I, I still like the idea of trying to move it around a little bit. I like the idea of utilizing dome stadiums. I like the idea of, re, uh, idea of regional uh, baseball that can be um, interconnected as the season goes on. I, listen, I, this thing is changing so rapidly. Just wait till next week. But uh, I don't really like the uh, really hot state theories. Uh, it sounds wonderful on the surface, but I really don't think it's going to fly. Yeah, I, uh, I'm up. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. doesn't work for me. If you think about it, all right, you've got the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League. You don't have the American League, the National League. And I know, me, I'm a National League fan. I'm a Mets fan. I like not having the DH. And I know people say, you want to watch pitchers bunt. Well, let's face it. Pitchers now bat maybe twice per game at the most because of the increased use of bullpens. So to talk about pitchers bunt, it's really a non-starter for me because, again, it's Two times a game. That's it. We don't need to change those rules. Both leagues have their own identity. So I'm okay with that. But you look at the Grapefruit League, the Yankees, and a ton of people listening are Yankee fans. Yankees, Phillies, Jays, Tigers, Pirates. That's your Grapefruit League division. So the Yankees are going to play the Phillies a whole bunch. Yankee fans, I wouldn't like that if I were you. I think the Phillies have a pretty good team. The Blue Jays, that's nothing new. The Tigers are an awful team. If you're a fan of a team that's going to compete against the Yankees, you can't like the fact that the Jays, Tigers, and Pirates are in the Yankees division. All three teams in a regular baseball season will probably lose 100 games. Maybe not the Jays because they have so much young talent. The thing with young talent is the first word. It's young. You don't know what to expect. In a couple of years, the Jays, I think, are going to be very good. I don't expect that this year because of their youth. But the Yankees played those three teams a bunch or have to beat them out to make the playoffs. It's a given. And the Yankees are going to make the playoffs anyway, regardless of how this season shakes out. But do you notice who is missing there? No Red Sox. No Red Sox-Yankees in that same division. Now, the Red Sox this year, much different team. They're not likely to be a playoff team, in my opinion. They've got losses with Mookie Betts and David Price. They haven't replaced the payroll. They still don't have a closer. There's issues in Boston. But look a little further down. The other Grapefruit League, the 
you know, I've mentioned I'm a Mets fan. The Mets are in the same division with the Astros. And yeah, they're cheaters, but they're really good. The Nationals, well, they won the World Series last I checked. So you've got the two teams that played for the World Series. The Mets, the Cardinals. Remember when the Cardinals weren't good? Because I don't. Every year, they're very good. Oh, and then the Marlins. So you throw one AAA team in. Again, it's not an even disbursement. Look at the Cactus League. How about this division? Cubs, Giants. Diamondbacks, Rockies, Aces. Pretty strong. Dodgers, White Sox, Reds, the Indians, and Angels. The Angels are never good. The White Sox have good young talent. You heard what I said about young talent. And the fact that the Indians and Reds are there, they're both teams that could be. We'll see if they can. But it's just this plan, there's another factor. There's no DH or there is a DH. Rosters have been built a certain way. If you're an American League team, utility players don't mean as much because generally you're not substituting a whole lot. In the National League, where the bench is much more used, you build your bench with utility players, guys who can play infield multiple positions, outfield multiple positions. It would be very good in that respect for a lot of teams. That's different in the American League. They generally have a bop. Now, there's one National League, National League team that would benefit from this, and it's my Mets. Because all of a sudden, Robinson Cano and Yoenis Cespedes, two perfect DHs who are miscast in a National League team, could DH. So it would be great. But this isn't good for baseball. Because, again, and I said this last week, people like me who watch baseball enjoy it the way it is. Young people who are on their phone and on their iPad all the time, aren't going to watch baseball for nine innings anyway. So you're changing the game to attract a demographic that simply isn't going to tune in. Why are you going to turn me, the baseball fan, off in an effort to garner new viewers? It doesn't make sense. It's bad for the game. And to me, it's something that all leagues have to be careful of. NBA and NHL still are hoping to finish their seasons. The NFL, the draft I mentioned, it's a week away. They're planning to go ahead as normal. Whether or not that's going to happen, who knows? We're in an unknown time right now. Everything seems to be getting better. The curve is flattening, so we like that. But I think the biggest mistake our country can make, biggest mistake our sports can make is to rush back and to try to provide something that isn't what we are normally used to and maybe have to shut it down again. None of us want to be patient, not now, not ever. And right now with all that's going on and our depravity of sports, we, we're thirsting for it. We want it so badly, but that doesn't mean it's right. And it doesn't mean it's going to be the way we want it to be. Patience is going to win out. And the league that handles coming back the best is going to be the one that ultimately survives and does come back. and looks like what we knew it to be before. There's a lot of different ways things can come back. I actually read this week that the NCAA is looking at a spring football season this year to give more time for social distancing to take effect and possibly 
a vaccine or all the other things. I did hear one of the great ideas from Bob Huggins, actually. The West Virginia coach said that next year, the NCAA basketball season should begin by playing this year's tournament. How would that be for a way to start? You seed it, 68 teams, and go forward. And then the season kicks off. I think it would be a great way to start it. Just don't rush into things. The Major League Baseball, stop ruining the game the way it is. It's good the way it is. People don't like it. It's their loss. Stop trying to attract eyes you can't win with. Switch gears to the NFL. When the NFL gets back, the best running back in the game, yeah, he's a running back and he is the best, got paid yesterday. Christian McCaffrey, four-year, $64 million deal. $14.5 million per year for Christian McCaffrey. Now, you hear a lot of things about sports. For years in the NFL, you didn't draft a guard. You didn't draft a safety. Those were positions that you didn't spend high draft picks on. You never draft a center, top 15 in the draft. Yet, to me, the evolution of football has been that you need to be solid in the middle of your offensive line. So those thoughts are gone sideways. Christian McCaffrey is getting paid. Ezekiel Elliott got paid. Todd Gurley got paid. And now he's got an arthritic knee and is in Atlanta. But if you think about it, you think about running backs, you think about $64 million over four years for McCaffrey. McCaffrey's last three years, his only three years really, have been really productive. Last year, he had almost 1,400 yards on the ground and over 1,000 yards through the air. He had over 400 touches, which is concerning because he's not somebody who's huge in stature. And generally, guys tend to break down a little quicker with that 400 touch mark. That seems to be a magical number. But $14.5 million a year for McCaffrey. I'm sorry, $16 million a year for McCaffrey. If you start thinking about it, guys like Shaq Lawson got $10 million a year to go to Miami. Shaq Lawson's a nice player. Nobody's looking at Shaq Lawson as a game-changing player. Christian McCaffrey is a huge game-changing player. He's the best back in the league. You can't defend him. Matt Rule, the new coach in Carolina, is an offensive genius. You're giving him a weapon, whether through the air or whether it's on the ground. Why wouldn't you pay this guy? I've never understood the whole, you don't pay a certain position because running backs are plentiful. That's true. And you can find running backs anywhere. But how many Christian McCaffreys are there or have there been in the history of the game? The name that comes to mind for me is Marshall Falk. That's the comp here. Marshall Falk's in the Hall of Fame. Marshall Falk was a key component on one of the great offensive teams of all time, the old Rams team, the greatest show on turf. Do you think they would have been the same team had Marshall Falk not been there? You start to look at the running back position, and I get it. They're disposable. They go quickly. But this is a kid who's three years into the league, and now he's getting paid, and it's only a four-year deal. Running backs are getting paid quicker. They're getting paid more than some people think they're worth. To me, I still believe you can win football games running the football 
playing defense. And it's a matter of if you do those things, then it, it works together. We all want the wide open spread offense, throw it 40 times. Let's face it, the Bills, the team we follow around here, they haven't had a 300-yard passer in years, which people look at is how can we win games if we don't throw for 300 yards? Well, if you run it for 200, throw it for 200, that's a 400-yard offensive day. And while you're running it for 200 and the clock is running, your defense sitting over there getting fresh. It's still a way to win football games. The running back position is still an important position. It's just a matter of getting the right one. You don't just pay a running back. You pay the right running back. And I like what Carolina did this year. But there's going to be an effect coming up because think about this. Derrick Henry, who was the key to the Titans run last year, he's got a franchise tag on him. So they're looking to work a deal with him. He'll likely eclipse what McCaffrey got. A couple other names to think about. Dalvin Cook, very good back in Minnesota. Key to their offense, in my opinion, especially now that they've traded Stephon Diggs. And then you got Alvin Kamara down in New Orleans. Drew Brees is going to be gone in a couple of years. What do you do with Kamara? He is like McCaffrey, a guy who could impact the game through the passing game, through the running game. Great back. I think he showed this year, though, that he needs Mark Ingram back. Maybe not Mark Ingram himself, but a player like that. He's much better as a second back than a feature back, whereas McCaffrey is a feature back. But there's a name I want you to keep an eye on because this one's going to be interesting. Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants. The Giants, who've had some star power, haven't had success, have had front office turmoil and a whole bunch of bad coaches in between Tom Coughlin and now, are going to have an issue with Saquon Barkley. They didn't want to pay Odell anymore, and they got rid of Beckham. He was maybe a cancer in the clubhouse and a lot of other things that went on. So because of that, it was probably addition by subtraction, plus they got a first-round pick back. But Saquon Barkley is that franchise. He is a guy who you pay to go see. When Saquon came out, I was unsure how good he was. He's Barry Sanders-ish. Just to say that bothers me because Sanders is one of those guys that you don't compare anybody to. He's that special. He's that great. Saquon? He actually reminds me of Barry Sanders. And that in itself is one of those, oh. So if you're a Giants fan, you're in the biggest market in the, in the world. You're, you're a team with tradition and hope to get back there. How do you not pay Saquon Barkley? I think you have to, whatever he wants. And I guarantee you after this year, his third year, he holds out if he doesn't get paid. They got to start working on that now. And that's one of those things, too. Saquon, who scored 17 touchdowns in his two years, and you heard what I think of him, same number of rushing touchdowns as Josh Allen, by the way, hasn't equated to team success. So, how do you equate that? But you got to pay him. You absolutely have to pay him. And when it comes to paying people, the one position that always gets paid is quarterback position. Teams lose their mind trying to get the quarterback. Because if it gets quarterback, all else falls in, right? Well, there's a lot more to it. The Cincinnati Bengals have the first pick in next week's draft. And Joe Burrow 
the LSU quarterback, is going to be the guy. Coach O said to me a bit ago that you prepare for the game like a linebacker. You are a linebacker <laughs> in a quarter in quarterback's clothes. How would you describe your your approach to the game? You know, I think I think it's important that your team does see the quarterback show some toughness just about every game. Um, that's how I won the team over last year, and, and showing my hard work, showing my toughness and my leadership, because I wasn't producing on the field like I was this year. Um, and I think when your when your team sees that, it kind of brings the whole team to a new level. Joe Burrow's self-assured. He's cocky. All right, I'll say it. He's cocky. He's a guy who believes in himself. He's a guy who had a great jump. Look at his numbers in the last two years at LSU. Last year was unbelievable. 5,671 yards, completed 76.3% of his passes, 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean, those numbers are video game numbers. The year before, just below 2,900 yards, almost 58% completion percentage. Think about that, an 18% jump in completion percentage. 16 touchdowns, five interceptions. Joe Burrow is graded out to be an incredibly highly rated recruit. I'm sorry, draft prospect. Almost to the point where he's being compared to Andrew Luck. Since John Elway back in 83, Andrew Luck was the highest rated quarterback prospect. Now, Burrow is the highest rated prospect since Luck. I like Joe Burrow, and I think Joe Burrow is going to be a good NFL quarterback. I'm not ready to jump on and say he's a sure thing. But I think there's a misconception because a lot of people are saying, well, He's got to save Cincinnati. He's got to change the Bengals. He's going to be the one to resurrect the franchise. We look at the Bengals and we think they're a joke. And in a lot of ways, they are. The Brown family is very conservative. For a while, they would bring in players like Pac-Man Jones and Frosty Rucker and, and guys who had long criminal history. And that's okay. Put them out there. Got to get the work done. The Bengals are a team that... It's very, very small-minded as an organization, and they've been hurt by that. But when you start to look at what they've done over the last couple of years, I think the foundation may be there. Now, they still have Andy Dalton, who I think would serve as a nice mentor to Drew, to Joe Burrow. I think it would be a nice way to bridge that gap, keep Andy Dalton, maybe even start. Andy Dalton for a couple of games, kind of do the Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith thing, if you will. And, and that's one of those easy guy in. But the last two years, the first round draft picks for the Bengals have been offensive linemen, Billy Price, the Ohio State center, and Jordan Williams, the tackle from Alabama last year. Now, both suffered injuries. Price suffered an injury, only got in about six to seven games his rookie year. Jonah Williams was hurt, didn't play at all last year. So there's talent on the offensive line. A.J. Green will be back. Not sure what to make of A.J. Green at this point. Great receiver for a long time. But he's struggled with injuries over the last couple of years. Hasn't quite been the same guy. 
but you've got John Ross, who was a former first round draft pick who showed some good things. And then Tyler Boyd is a very good NFL wide receiver. Joe Mixon's had almost 3,000 yards in his first three years. So Mixon's a solid running back. So now you're mixing in the fact that you've got pretty good wide receivers, good running back, you've got a young offensive line, and you're bringing in what you hope is your franchise quarterback. You're adding to that, or I hope you're adding to that, with a coach who was hired because of his offensive ability. Zach Taylor was associated with Sean McVay in L.A., and that's how he got this job. Now, last year didn't work out as well, two wins. Doesn't necessarily mean that this guy can't coach, but it sounds strange. I think the pressure is on. The Brown family is very conservative. Year after year, Marvin Lewis would be on the hot seat, and then the Bengals would re-up him. And while we think of the recent past for the Bengals, the last four years, they've won two, six, seven, and six games. The five years prior to that, they were in the playoffs, 12, 10, 11, 10, and nine wins each of those years. The Bengals have actually gone from a continual playoff team to the team we saw last year. Joe Burrow has a chance to bring them back. And I think the division may lend itself to that. You look at that AFC North, and of course, the, the, the Browns are a team that you look at first because of their notoriety in this area. But what are the Browns? They've got a new, organ, a new GM, a new coach again. Everything's different. Baker Mayfield's still there. And what do you have in Baker? So the Browns are very much a question mark. The Steelers, long the standard of the North, are now, in my opinion, a question mark because Big Ben looked different the last time we saw him. And I'm not talking about fat Big Ben with a big beard. I'm talking about the guy who walked off with a bad elbow and had elbow surgery. If you're a pitcher and you have Tommy John, it's a huge question mark. If you're a quarterback, you have basically Tommy John surgery. It's just as big. It's ironic that Big Ben tried to come back from an injury that ended another former Steeler greats career, Terry Bradshaw. I don't know what to make of Big Ben other than he's got a big beard and he looks fat. I don't know whether or not he's going to come back. If he does, then the Steelers should be pretty good because they always draft well. And last year, Megan Fitzpatrick, their number one pick essentially for this year's draft, came in and made a huge impact. He's a great player on the back end of that defense. They continue to build that defense back up. But unless they have Big Ben at quarterback, I don't think the Steelers are going to be very good. And then, of course, there's the Ravens. They're the team that we think we all know about. And I say think because as great as Lamar Jackson was last year, Lamar Jackson did things in a way very few quarterbacks have ever done. And one thing I've learned about the NFL over the years is when you see something different and it works really well, two things happen. Everyone tries to copy it, and defensive coordinators look at film and try and figure out a way to stop it. Go back to when Nick Foles was in Philadelphia and Chip Kelly brought his offense to the NFL. Nick Foles threw 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. Great year. One of the great years of a quarterback in the NFL history. That's how good that was. So Nick Foles was the guy that you looked at and went, 
wow, is he really that good? No. Teams still pay him. He just got traded again. But when you look at Lamar Jackson, I do think he's that good. But I also think this year, after defense coordinators figuring out ways to limit him, he's going to have to adjust his game as well. The Bengals are in a division that I'm not going to say is favorable, but the first time in a long time, the Steelers aren't the Steelers. The Browns are still the Browns. And I think the Ravens, although they continue to build, are going to be very good, but I don't know long-term if they've figured everything out. Joe Burrow to the Bengals changes that franchise because all of a sudden, we all want to see the Bengals. We all want to see what Joe Burrow's about. Anyone tune in last year when the Bengals were on? Or even when Andy Dalton was there? Heck, the only game I remember watching is when they beat the Ravens to allow the Bills to get in the playoffs a couple years ago. The Bengals are a different team, and Joe Burrow becomes the face of that organization. I'm not sure he can be the guy to change them, but I do think this, that he's got an opportunity to go somewhere where there's been a foundation laid, believe it or not, and if the coach can handle his end of the business, I do think Joe Burrow can have a big-time impact on the Bengals organization. So we're going to finish up today talking about sports media. And, you know, here we are in this lockdown era, the fact that the economy is much different, obviously, in many facets. We're all quarantined to home. We're all trying not to go out. We're doing our part. But part of us doing our part is businesses that are currently closed, hoping they can reopen, and businesses that are open, hoping they can survive. And no business may ultimately and long-term be affected the way that media is. We watch TV, we listen to radio, podcasts, all these things. Advertisers have all shrunk in this era. Nobody's really going out advertising a lot right now. And that's the whole thing. Every time we turn on the TV, those ads that we fast forward through on DVR, those are the reasons that guys get big salaries, whether it be the shows that we watch or the anchors on the news and sports that we see. And sports media is being hit the hardest right now for this reason. There are no sports. You're starting to see newspapers furlough and lay off people. Entercom Radio last week announced they were going to furlough a lot of people. Here in Rochester, there's two big radio groups. There's Entercom and there's iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio laid off 1,000 people in January. I, I was one of them. You look at those groups which pay sports media people, they're not going to continue to be able to do that because their advertising budgets are going to be slashed. So if you run a company and your revenue is slashed, you also have to slash your expenses. Those two things need to work together. If they don't, your company is shuttered and no longer exists. Some of the biggest names in sports media may soon be affected by this. The report came out the other day that ESPN was asking some of its top paid talent to take a 10% pay cut. Now, it's not been verified if this is the case. I know ESPN bosses took pay cuts last week, but Grant Wall 
a reporter for Sports Illustrated, soccer reporter and very good writer, was fired this week, in part because of things he said when asked to take a 10% pay cut. Grant Wall was making about $350,000 a year, reportedly. He disputes it's that much, but I think everyone would agree it's in the ballpark. Taking 10% off of $350,000 puts you at $305,000 a year to be a soccer writer for Sports Illustrated. Now, there's been a back and forth at who's at fault here. Is it the new owners of Sports Illustrated, Maven? Is it Grant Wall not wanting to take a pay cut? All these things can be disputed, but the fact that Grant Wall is no longer writing for Sports Illustrated, that can't be disputed. ESPN, two of their top talents, are Mike top paid talents, are Mike Greenberg and Stephen A. Smith. Both reportedly make about $10 million a year. Not what they had hoped. I won't say it's a disaster, but when you spend all the money they spent to build the studio, in some of the most expensive real estate in the world and along the river in New York City. You pay him $10 million a year. You pay Michelle Beadle and then have to pay her to leave because it didn't work out. It's been a huge expenditure with very little return. Now you add to that the uncertainty of the advertising dollars coming back. He's very vulnerable if he doesn't take a pay cut. But if you're Mike Greenberg, They signed your contract, right? You're being asked to take a pay cut. I get it. You want to be a team player. And everyone looks at it and says, well, you know, take take the pay cut. That's a million dollars. It's real money that Mike Greenberg would have to be giving up. Same with Stephen A. I'm not a Stephen A fan at all. If I need to be yelled at, (laughs) I'll find somebody I know to do it. I don't need a guy on TV yelling at me all the time. But Stephen A. got a $10 million deal because he produces ratings. And frankly, the ratings are going to be there. There's two things in sports media that count, ratings and revenue. And guess which one counts more? Revenue. Because it doesn't matter how many people are watching you. If you're not making money for the people that are employing you, they have no reason to continue to employ you. So while Stephen A. is generating ratings, The revenue is going to be down. I just wonder when we get back to normal, and normal's going to be a different world than we saw before, what's our sports media look like? The NFL telecast, the Tony Romo contract. Think about that then, a month and a half ago, versus now. Paying Tony Romo $18 million a year to broadcast games on TV. That's a huge contract. But the television revenue comes from advertisers. Think of watching an NFL game. Car companies, they're going to be huge difference in the way they advertise. Car companies right now are struggling. You can't test drive a car. How are you supposed to buy a car? You look at the alcohol brands. Um, They're doing okay because people, though they can't go to bars, are sitting home and still able to buy a 12-pack here and there. But I think that's going to change a little bit as well. Those numbers are going to be down long-term, and those are dollars going away. So it's a totally different era that we're coming into. And unfortunately, the people 
who are at the highest part of the food chain in media are going to be with some of the people most affected. I think the way we consume sports is going to change over the next few months in ways that maybe nobody saw coming. It's got nothing to do with the game on the field. But I think the people we follow, read, listen to, watch, there's going to be changes. And it's not all going to be positive. Well, that's episode six. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you spread the word that we're doing this every week. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, Carl Falk 2 If you got ideas, next week, of course, we're going to talk a lot about the draft. It's coming up and uh, got some ideas. I know the Bills don't have a first-round pick, but Brandon Bean isn't someone who's going to sit through an entire draft without making trades. So we'll talk next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week.